Welcome to the How Did You Get Into That podcast. Each week, we want to bring you an inspiring interview or encouraging message to help you find and do work you love. Now, here's your host, Grant Baldwin. What is up, my friends? Welcome back to another episode of How Did You Get Into That? My name is Grant, and I'm glad you're here. I got a good show for you today. This is one I've been looking forward to. The interview did not disappoint. So great story here with Jeff Gooden. Jeff was actually a, uh, an NBA mascot for many years and built a career jumping off trampolines, slamming basketballs through hoops, and entertaining tens of thousands of people in arenas all over the place. So he worked with the Boston Celtics for two years. He worked with the Dallas Mavericks for 12 years. And just some some crazy stories about how he got into this. How he got into this is just absurd because it's not like it's not like the thing that you go to school for like or maybe even dreaming of. Like, I want to be a basketball acrobatic or I want to be a, an NBA mascot. Like, most people don't grow up with that. And in fact, what he was doing beforehand was very, very unrelated to how he got into the NBA mascot gig. So uh, I think a really inspiring, encouraging story to you. And I I love, I'm just going to tease this, how he got his break is one of my favorite stories of just taking action, of really doing something that other people would describe as maybe crazy, ludicrous, perhaps stupid, but he did it. And that led to uh, what he's doing today as an NBA mascot. So let's get right into this. Here is my chit chat with NBA mascot, Jeff Gooden. Enjoy. What is up, my friends? Welcome to another episode of How Did You Get Into That? Today, we are joined by Jeff Gooden, who has spent some time as an NBA mascot. This guy is basically a, a professional dunker, performer, and just all-around stud. So, Jeff, what's up, man? Welcome to the show. Hey, Grant. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. NBA mascot, dunker. Like, how do you describe what it is you do? Are you the guy that, like, in the crazy costumes at halftime that distract us until the game starts again? Or, like, tell us more about what you do. Yeah, that's pretty much me. I'm the, the <laughs> idiot who didn't know any better than to run full speed at a trampoline and project yourself at a fixed object. But, in in yeah. front of uh, 30,000 people. Yeah, yeah. They, uh, nobody's looking. That's what I always tell folks. <laughs> Just or at least pretend nobody's looking. Whether it's in costume or not, I still do dunk shows at uh, not in costume now. But yeah, with the costume on, it's a lot easier because when you look like an idiot, it's expected. <laughs> you can get you can get away with that. All right, I guess just give us a, like a high level overview of what you do today and what kind of your your career has been. Because you've worked with a couple different NBA teams, you've done a variety of different things as it relates to this career. Yeah, I started off doing halftime shows with a group called the Daredevils, and it was you know it was just a touring act. We did halftime show for every NBA team, two hundred plus colleges, and then the summertime would go overseas to do amusement parks or sometimes state fairs here in the U.S. And it was uh, man, it was it was just fun. It was you know we drive on tours, drive ten thousand miles a month, so we'd have a show one night wow. at Temple University in Philadelphia and have to be in Minneapolis the next night for the Timberwolves. That's crazy. So, it seems fun, and I guess it's six minutes of glamour and funness, followed by untold number of hours behind the wheel of a van. Yeah, that's the non-glamorous, non-sexy part, and I'm sure we'll yeah. get into that. And you spent some time with the, the Celtics and then also with the Mavs, too, right? Yeah, my first two seasons when I left the Daredevils were with the, with the Boston Celtics. I was the first mascot they'd ever had. It was no game entertainment at all at the time. It was sort of coming out of... The Red Arbuck days, there were no dancers, yeah. there was no cheerleaders, there was nothing. Straight basketball. Yeah, it was just hoops. It was some dude sweeping the floor at halftime. Yeah. That's, wow. And that's kind of what they prided themselves on. Yeah. You were there for two years and then you were with the Mavs? 
Yep. Then went to the Mavericks where we um, still in Dallas, not working with the Mavericks anymore. Still have a great relationship with those guys, but yeah, I spent a lot of years there and just loved it. It was, it's, it's been an interesting time to be part of the Mavericks organization. That's for sure. How long were you with the Mavs? It was the 12 years, 13 years. So you were there in their championship run then, right? Yep. In 06, when we lost to Heat, uh-huh. when I thought we were much better than the Heat. In 2011, yep. they were a lot better than us, I thought, but somehow we won. Yeah. Nice, man. Very close. You've been on, on both sides of it. So Cool. Well, let's backtrack a little bit. So I know you live in Dallas now. Where'd you grow up originally? I grew up in Colorado. Okay. I grew up in Colorado. spent my last two years of high school in St. Louis. And uh, never imagined myself coming to Texas, but yeah. I love it here. Nice. Well, like, what did your parents do? My dad is a entrepreneur, okay. sort of software guy, entrepreneur. Mom stayed at home, and just raised this kind of traditional, you know, all American family, I suppose. Well, all kinds of entrepreneur stuff was your dad into. Man, he was into a lot of stuff. Most of it was, you know, high tech back in the day. You know, whatever that means for right. 1980s, the, you know, <laughs> mag tape, reel to reel stuff. But he had learned to program in college. In fact, I think through the military, I learned to do programming and computers. So he just was always in tech and software of some kind and just a hustler. Nice. Awesome. Did you play basketball as a kid? Yeah, I did. That was, in fact, my dream growing up was to be an NBA basketball player. I was obsessed. I played all the time, worked out all the time. And I was I was fairly good. I just wasn't very tall. Yeah. So this is the cl- like being the mascot is like the closest way he can still get on the court and like still like legitimately be participating in some way or another. Yeah, it was. Uh, I tell people all the time it is the kind of truth is stranger than fiction because I had I had dreamed from a kid of playing in the NBA and grew up watching Magic and Larry Bird and I mean I was I'm a slow learner so I had I was still dreaming of playing the NBA in college when I couldn't even make the college basketball team. <laughs> Finally gave up on that and uh, yeah, five or six years later, find myself you know, doing halftime shows the, for every NBA team. So prior to those five, six years, what, like, what were you planning on doing? Once you realized the dream of, of being in the NBA, at least as a, uh, as a player, was, was out of the cards, like, what were you thinking was the next possible step for you? It depended on the week or the month. It was always something different. I wanted to be a, either an English professor, and then it was family and marriage counseling, and it'd go back and forth between there. Then a professional fly fisherman. That was. I started tying flies in college. I thought, man, I'd like to be a fly fishing guy. That'd be cool. That's all over the map. I mean, like yeah, English everywhere. professor to like fly fisherman. Like that's all kinds of stuff. So, like, how are you kind of processing that? Because I know that there's a lot of people that may be in a similar spot who would be like, I want to do the English professor, or I want to do the family therapy, or I want to do fly fishing, and I have all of these like extremely unrelated interests that all could be hypothetically legitimate options. So, how did you? Start to kind of narrow down which path you were going to take for me i felt like it narrowed for itself i I always prayed that god would give me a not just direction but a passion for something whatever i had passion for i would pursue it a thousand percent the things i didn't like i would pursue not at all which was probably one of my greatest weaknesses is just if i didn't want to do it man i didn't I did not do it. But if I wanted to, I went after it with a thousand percent. And part of me was just too dumb to know that a lot of things weren't really possible. Yeah. But at the same time, like like outside looking in, there are so few like NBA mascot spots that you wouldn't think that's super realistic or super possible and yet and yet you made that happen. So so for those five, six years, like what were you doing just to, to make ends meet? When I left college I started managing a fly fishing shop. Okay. 
And I was having a blast doing that, tying flies, making a little extra money, teaching casting lessons, and kind of moving up the food chain a little bit. Moved up to a big shop that was kind of big time, I thought. Yeah. And things went south in a hurry there. Just personalities seemed to conflict, and it was three or four months that I was at that place. Then I found myself, wife and I had moved to St. Louis. I didn't know what to do. So on a whim, I just called the Daredevils. I had seen these guys on ESPN, and I thought, man, I was a gymnast in college. It'd be fun. I should try this. Those guys look crazy. There was an ESPN special for, I think they ran it a bunch in the 90s, mid-90s, called The Right Stuff about the Daredevils. So I just started making calls. Okay, got wait, a hold of it. Wait, I got I got to wrap my mind around this. So <laughs> you're working at the fly shop or the fly fishing shop. Things go south. You're back to the drawing board. What are you doing for those those three or four months? You're just kind of licking your wounds. No, actually, my dad had got me a job with the American Optometric Association. My job was to back up computer files overnight. So I would go in at 7 o'clock at night. Optometric? Yeah, the American Optometric Association. Uh, That sounds like a big group of exciting this. Well, I was the only one in there. It was literally backing up. It was reel-to-reel, you know, those magnetic tapes trying to back up their computer system. I was terrible. I got fired from that job. So while you're doing that for those three or four months, you thought the, like the fly fishing thing was the possible route. Then you're doing this very non-glamorous, non-sexy job. Like, what are those few months like? Are you feeling like you're a failure, or you're you have no idea what you want to do, or you're letting people down, or like like what's kind of running through your mind? Yeah, all of it. I was total failure. I'd proven that. It was kind of funny. I would uh, come home as the sun was coming up. And I would sit in the you know the driveway, and I could hear the birds chirping. I felt like they were mocking me, like uh, it was genuine insulting, at least from my perspective. Yeah, I totally felt like I was letting down my wife, my dad, who'd got me this job, and I had no clue, no clue what to do. So I started telling my wife, "Hey, I'm going to call the Daredevils." I told my dad, "I'm going to call the Daredevils." And they're like, "What are you? You got to be stupid." Yeah, Th- those guys were way above my skill level. They were world class. So in terms of like your skill level at that point, okay, and I'm, I'm again, I'm curious. So you're just watching ESPN some random night and you see this special of them on? And is it like immediate, like, that's it, like, that's what I got to do? Or are you just kind of like, oh, that's kind of cool, and then just kind of simmers? Or like, how does that play out? I had seen it before. I had seen it a while back. And then it came on again, and it kind of you know triggered in my mind. I thought, man, in college, I was doing that kind of stuff. Maybe not that level, but I was doing that kind of stuff. That looks like fun. I've always kind of been a dreamer. That's what my teachers in elementary school, that was their biggest criticism on the report card is Jeff's a dreamer. He doesn't pay enough attention in class, you know. And uh, so one day I just, Jeannie was gone. I was in the apartment all by myself. I just got to open up the phone book and started trying to track down the Daredevils. Finally got a hold of a guy in Memphis named Ty Cobb, who's the leader of the Daredevils. And he said, hey, we got a end of year banquet tonight and the guys are practicing in the morning you're welcome to come down check out the banquet we'll give you a little spot rehearsal tomorrow okay so so, so at this point the, the, like in terms of like skill level it sounds like you've done you said you're a gymnast in college yeah but not okay. a high level gymnast it was a you know a club type program yeah a little bit of ability to flip and flop around, but had you done this like yeah. in terms of basketball? Like, had you ever done the dunking and the like the halftime perform like any type of, of acrobatic stunt like that? I'd done stuff off the mini tramp in college a little bit, okay. but no halftime shows, nothing like what the dare to, at least not on on that level. And at this time, I hadn't hit a mini tramp in two years probably. Okay. So when we drove down, I called Jeannie immediately. I said, "Hey, you got to get off work. We're gonna head to Memphis." She goes, "What?" When I said now, we're, 
So we drove from St. Louis to Memphis. What is she thinking? Like when you tell her we got to go to Memphis for this, like, <laughs> I'm just chasing a dream. And because uh, what is it like five hours or something from St. Louis to Memphis? Yeah, like, what, exactly. What's that ride like? We were not quite newly married. I think less than two years, though. So she was being patient and understanding and <laughs> trying to hide the eye rolling. Just going, all right, let Jeff get this out of his system. We'll go down there, let him humiliate himself, and we'll go home and start over, uh, which is pretty much what happened. So the plan was to drive down there. And so, like, were you even surprised, though, like, whenever you called and they offered you a spot to come down? Like, cause they, yeah. like, like they didn't know you from Adam. So, like, any idea, like, what made them want to offer you a spot to just, like, hey, come hang out with us? Like, that just seems random to me. Yeah, it made a little more sense after I was there for a while. What I've come to realize is Ty was just seeing if I had – the right attitude to hop in the car immediately and drive from St. Louis to Memphis. Yeah. Said, how badly do you, do you want to be here? Yeah. He said, if you want to come hang out with us for the night, come on. There's no risk to him. He wasn't offering me anything other than a chance to, you know, hit the tramp and try out the next morning when the guys are practicing. Cause they had a show in Vandy that next night. Yeah. So they're going to do a quick practice that morning and then head to Nashville. Did you think whenever he, he offered you that, that, that you had to be, you know, somewhere five hours away or something the next day that, like, is it running through your mind like, oh, that's, man, that'd be cool, but there's a million reasons why I can't or I shouldn't go. Or like, like what is going through your mind? It was probably, you know, how do I get myself into this? What am I going to do? I got to try to, how do I fake this well enough to at least get, get invited back at some point? Right. How do I get a second date? Yeah. Yeah. How do I make the excuse that I haven't, well, I haven't been off the mini tramp in two, two and a half years, so... Let me come back in three months. I was, and part of me was just shocked that I actually got a hold of somebody and we were heading down there. Yeah. So next thing you know, you're on the road, you head down there. Do you meet them that night? Yeah. Yeah. We met them that day. Well, I think we got there probably at six and their banquet kind of was already started. The banquet was just at a big house. They're outside of Memphis and they had, you know, catered food. And it was the guys that had been touring. There were two teams on the road at the time and somebody had put together a highlight reel of that season. So they put on the highlight reel, and that's when I realized I'm in way, way over my head. <laughs> Jeannie looked at me and said, what are you going to do tomorrow? Because you know, their highlights are from you know, Orlando Magic, from the Laker games, the Celtics, and these guys were phenomenal. Yeah. It was, it was, that, that's when I went, oh, no. Did anything within you think like, you know what, I made a huge mistake? Like, I just didn't think this all the way through. I'm going to go talk to Ty and tell him, like, <laughs> totally my bad. Didn't mean to waste your time. I'm in over my head. I'm going to drive back. Like, what are you thinking that night going to bed? You know, I don't even remember. I think I was still shocked that we were that we were actually there. It's all just got to feel pretty surreal. Yeah, it kind of did. And I've never been one to back out of anything. I think part of my uh, one of my other strong suits is not being afraid to humiliate myself. So yeah. I'll get out there and give it a thousand percent and we'll see what happens. I don't remember if I was nervous or not. I remember going to bed and Jeannie going, what time can we get home tomorrow? <laughs> this is going to go badly. We got to get out of here. Yeah. So what is the next morning like? Because it's not like a tryout. It's not an audition. It just sounds like they're just all kind of practicing and you get to tag along. Yeah. The guys were practicing. Ty, who usually didn't go to practice, came over and he set up a mini tramp and a mat on the side while the guys were going and just basically set it up, stood back and said, all right, show me what you got. And I thought, oh, but you've man. never jumped off a trampoline to dunk a basketball in your life. 
Well, the goal wasn't even there then. It was just set up on the side. Okay. So he wanted to see what kind of skills I had coming off the mini tramp. So I said, well, let me loosen up a little bit. Let me you know, get a feel for the trampoline. I'm trying to drag my feet a little bit because I hadn't hit a mini tramp in probably two years. Yeah. And one of the primary skills is called a branny, and it is a front flip with half a twist. Okay. And that way, you know, when you're holding the basketball and you do a branny, you can flip and you turn and you're seeing the guy come. So you throw the ball in the air who's behind you to let them do their skills. Well, I hadn't done a branny in two years either. And I literally hit the tramp, tried to initiate the rotation because I was doing front flips, but the twisting's a little bit different and landed on my head. <laughs> Probably, strike one. Yeah, strike one. I think I did that three times. And uh, Jeannie told me afterwards that Ty looked over at her and said, is that all he's got? And she goes, yep, that's all he's got. <laughs> uh, so both people, uh, you don't have anybody in your corner at this point. No, no, Jeannie's trying to sabotage it, I think, just so we can get home as quickly as possible. <laughs> so where'd it go from there? After that tie, we did go out and get to throw down a few dunks, which was a little bit easier. We set the tramp close, and I think he just let me do that for fun. Then he said, you know, let me take you, we'll buy you breakfast before you head back. He loved my attitude, he said, liked my work ethic. He just thought it was crazy cool that somebody would, you know, get off a phone, one minute phone conversation with a stranger and drive down to Memphis, you know, in a moment's notice. Right. And he offered to pay for me to take trampoline lessons in St. Louis. Wow. And he said, if something comes up and within two months, their office manager kind of operations guy left. So he offered me that job and the opportunity to just train at night. Okay. So at that point, you've got a foot in the door, but it's not, yeah. it's not performing, but you're getting closer. Yep. Yeah. He said, uh, you know, you got access to the trampolines and the mats and, you know, after hours, you want to get in there and work your tail off and we'll see what happens. Yeah. I, I mean, one of the things I like about that is I remember early on as a, I always wanted to be a speaker and I thought that was something I could do decent. I wanted to do like school assemblies and speak at high schools and colleges. So I had an opportunity to speak at a, uh, or to work with a seminar company doing like these corporate seminars. And I was wearing a suit and traveling around doing like these eight hour seminars. And it just wasn't what I wanted to do, but it was at least a step in the right direction. You know, I had up my foot in the door, I was getting some at bats. And so I think that's really important to note of, it would have been really easy for you to be like, I don't want to sit in an office. I don't want to push papers. I don't want to be that guy. But you're like, no, nah, you know, it may not be ideal, but I'm able to connect. I'm able to network. I'm able to get my, my foot in the door with these people that I want to connect with and I want to run in their circles. And so I was like, just that, building those connections and rapport made a huge difference for you. That was huge. That was everything. Yeah. It never would have happened had I not, you know, gone in there and be willing to work nine to five in the office and take the opportunity to, you know, practice in the evenings. That was everything. Yeah. Just like you said, it's um, getting the reps, just being in the environment, just being there. I got a chance to sort of make buddies with one of the guys. And he said, man, let me come up. I'm going to come in and help you. And he wound up being my first team captain, wow. Keith Eldred. And he's just a stud. And he just, he helped me. He just helped me with body position off the mini tramp and just everything. You're there or two months later, you get that job as the operations guy. How long are you doing that before you get a spot on the, on the traveling and actually performing? That basketball season had just ended, so I was I wound up touring the very next the very next basketball season. Okay, there was guys on the road already, well overseas doing amusement parks in Italy and I think one in Germany. But by the next basketball season, so I guess what you know October November, yeah, I was on that next team that was touring. Are you immediately feeling like this is it? This is so bizarre, but I found my thing, and it all started from seeing this random ESPN special. Are, are, are there like what are you feeling as you get going? 
the only overwhelming feeling that ever hit me was the very first show we did that season was for the Indiana Pacers. And, you know, our job is to do halftime show, right? So we're standing in the vomitory with the mat and trampolines waiting to go out watching that clock tick down to zero. Yeah. And with about two minutes left, all I could think about was how do I get out of this? What have I gotten myself into? This is going to go. I can't believe I've done this. I was looking right. for excuses. I got to go to the bathroom. Right. I don't know what. It was terror. I was absolutely terrified. So you go out and you do that very first performance. What is it like when you come off stage or proverbial stage? It was uh, unbelievable. It was as, as terrified as I was going into it. it. I was as ecstatic at the end. And it was, it's fun to do it with a team. Yeah. So we're in the locker room afterwards just celebrating. There was another two guys who were on the team that were rookies and three others who performed before. Yeah. Or two others that, had, you know, that were, were veterans. It was exhilarating. Then you can't wait to get out and do it again. Yeah, I was going to say, we were talking a little bit beforehand. It's, it's kind of like that. I feel like that sometimes with speaking, it's kind of that drug of once you do it, you're like, how do I do that again? You know, And that's a great spot to be in any type of work of something that just makes you feel alive where you feel like, ah, man, that was so cool. I got to figure out how, to, how do I do more of that. So how long are you with the Daredevils before you make the transition to the NBA? I was two seasons, two full years with the are, Daredevils. Are you enjoying it? Are you liking it? Are you just feeling like, okay, now I want to go to the NBA? Or are you just feeling like, oh, I'm going to be with the Daredevils forever? Or like, how does that kind of play out? Oh, I was loving it. It felt like home. Yeah, I was loving it. I, I got along with the guys extremely well. It was, it was really cool just to be a part of a group like that. Right. And especially to be – the Daredevils at the time were the number one – entertainment act in all of sports you know we were getting requests to go all over the world my first tour it wound up falling through but it was 25 day tour of uh, southeast asia it was called the shack rap and jam tour so the idea was <laughs> shack was gonna play ball and then at halftime we'd do a show and then he'd come out and rap for a while which is just bizarre <laughs> i like at this point in 2015 to think that at any point shack had a rapping career which i did i think at one point i bought was it shack diesel wasn't that the name of the album that could be i think so i think i, I think i had it at one point and that yeah. was like wow that was a unique stage in, in life for every for all of us i guess it's shocking that tour never happened didn't it oh no kidding <laughs> so you're with them for two years how did the celtics opportunity come to be it became almost, I guess, popular really for the NBA teams to have a dunking mascot at the time. There was a guy from Arizona State who went to the Suns and became the gorilla. Yeah. And that kind of started to blow up. So now everybody, every other team's going, man, we want a dunking mascot. And the Daredevils were the only group that did it. So teams just started cherry picking guys out of our group. And uh -huh. it was mostly guys who'd been on the team before me, the few years before me. And then I thought, well, this would be kind of neat. I sent out some demo videos and resumes to a couple teams looking one season to Orlando Magic and the New Jersey Nets. And it was funny, the Orlando Magic job, I thought, hey, it's a mascot job. I got to be creative. So I went to Domino's and got an empty pizza box and put my resume and VHS promo reel in the pizza VHS. box and mailed it off. Awesome. <laughs> so I didn't get that job. <laughs> they weren't looking for a dunking performer. And uh, I guess it was the next season that I came home one day and Jeannie said, hey, you uh, – a guy called you from the Boston Celtics today. He left his number. Wow. So that was a surreal moment. Yeah, no kidding. So they call you. Did you go up there and audition, or how would that kind of play out? Yeah, yeah, I did. I went up to audition, and that was a worse, well, less comfortable audition even than the – they had – they practiced at Brandeis University at the time in their field house. Yeah. So it, it's just, you know, five or six basketball courts lined up, and they had set up a mat and tramp, which I had sent my mini tramp there. 
they set it up, brought me in, and there was literally 10 guys with clipboards sitting in, you know, in suits <laughs> and in seats and basically said, all right, you know, let's do, see what you got. Do your thing, yeah. Yeah, there's no music. There's no energy in the room. Uh, you know, from speaking, it's, uh, you got a gigantic auditorium with nobody in it. Oh, it's painful. Yeah. yeah, there's zero energy. It doesn't matter how good you do. Right. So I, I just basically thought, well, I'm either never going to see these people again or I'll get this job. So I'm going to go thousand percent. Yeah. And I'll make a fool of myself. But if uh, I do, I'm never coming back. So after you you do your thing, is it immediately like they come up to you and like, hey, you know, we want you to, to join us or like what happens next? One of the VPs came over and said, hey, that was good. We got some other candidates we want to talk to. So what? we'll be in touch. And he walked off. And then the guy who'd sort of been my contact, who brought me in, he sort of said, man, you're our guy. He said, don't worry about what he said. He's, How quickly can you get out here? It got – actually, we, we went into a – that was a lockout year. So the timing wound up being a little bit strange. But Yeah. You get the gig with Boston. You head out there. And you're with them for, what would you say, two seasons? Yep, two seasons. Okay. And then you, you go from there to the Mavs? Yes. How did that yep. transition take place? Are you, were you looking for something different, or how did that kind of come to be? My contract with the Celtics was two years, and there was no entertainment at all in Boston. Half of the staff, they were upset that there was a, a mascot now. They really thought of themselves as a traditional you know, old school basketball. We don't want dancers. We don't want a mascot. There's no fireworks after games. Let's just play ball. Right, right. Half the staff wouldn't talk to me. I would occasionally have people in the stands go to shake my hand and they would grab it and squeeze and say, take your $7 hour job and get out of here. No way. Yeah. I heard that probably three or four times. Holy crap. And some that was a lot more colorful. Wow. Like even when people are saying that, are you feeling like, what am I doing here? Like, why am I doing this? And like, even beyond just internally, people don't, you got some people that don't want you to be there, but are you feeling like, all right, this has been fun, but I need to quote unquote, grow up and find a real job or like, like, what are you, what are you thinking? No, the first time somebody said that to me in the stands, my, my initial thought was you wouldn't believe what they're paying me to do this. (laughs) (laughs) Way more than $7. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't making player money. That's for sure. But I thought, man, for a guy to put on a goofy costume and go, Fool around for a little while and get to rappel out of the ceiling. I do that for free. Yeah. And they're paying me. Yeah. That's so, wild. Uh, I never once did I think. I think my father-in-law probably did. Like, What's this guy doing? <laughs> Why did I let him marry my daughter? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So when you go to the map, I got to assume that, like, I've always been a, I've been a big Mark Cuban fan. And I, I remember when he took over the Mavs that for him, it, you know, you got basketball, the product on the, on the floor, but you also have just the experience and the atmosphere. So I would think going to the Mavs would be a great, great environment to be a mascot. In the beginning, it was awesome. Yeah. And it was, all, it was always awesome. As a performer, you want to get as much of the attention and as much of the floor as you can. Yeah. So the downside of what started happening was as the team got better, more corporate sponsors wanted to jump on board. And for me, what I wanted was timeouts. So when we would have a game operations meeting, you know, I would want, hey, I want to dunk, you know, second time out of the third quarter. I want to do the inflatable character second time out of the second quarter. Yeah. You know, do T-shirt cannon second time out of the fourth and then you know, try to work myself into the game log as much as possible. Yeah. Well, as more corporate sponsors came on board, that became more and more, more difficult. Gotcha. So first season I had unlimited access to timeouts. They were looking for, you know, things to fill just cause it was, and the team had been awful for so long. Yeah. Yeah. Mark in, infused so much energy and enthusiasm and as the team got better, uh, man, the corporate sponsors came from everywhere 
and it was uh, it was still great. But as a performer, I loved having a chance to get it on the court and just try ideas and see what worked. I was willing to fail. As more people kind of stick their hands in the pot, there's not as many folks who are as eager for a failure as I was. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or at least for the possibility of it. So you're there with, for, for 12 seasons. And it sounds like you've you got the highs and the lows. We were talking a little bit beforehand. You're teasing to me a, uh, a story about Dr. J and Dominique Wilkins. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to save that for the bonus material. I'm interested to hear about that. But were there any other moments that you had either interacting with Cuban or interacting with some of the players or you're, you're doing something and like a, a player's impressed or any, like any of those type of experiences? I'd actually read about one in Sports Illustrated for Kids. Somebody had showed me, I, they didn't even, they didn't notify me that this thing was going on, but apparently Sports Illustrated for Kids had taken a poll of NBA players. Who's your favorite NBA mascot? Of course, the gorilla got number one, Yeah. but number two was Mavs Man. Wow. Which I thought was really cool because, you know, at the time, Mavs weren't a well-known team. Yeah. They were, you know, we were in Clipper territory back then. <laughs> it just was not, was Clipper, I didn't know Mavs Man is on the map, so you know, for the players to be impressed, I was, I was really, I thought, man, that's cool. Did you ever have any interactions with, with players Is that like, like coming off the court or uh, halftime or any of that or before, or after a game? I used to do appearances with them a bunch and I would, uh, I traveled on, on the team plane occasionally. And that's so why I would interact with them some there, but I had a funny one with Dirk one time. We were sitting ready to go in to do a, I think it was a school assembly. And I had this idea for a video I wanted to do where Mavs man, and I wanted to get Dirk to come with me to TP local celebrities' house. You know, we throw toilet paper all over the trees and just a crazy amount of toilet paper. We hop in the van, Mavs man rings the doorbell, and we take off as this guy comes out shaking his hand. You know, you guys got me again, kind of thing. Yeah. And so I start telling Dirk about it, and he goes, TP? What's TP? <laughs> Dirk's German. He had no yep. clue. He thought I was suggesting we go vandalize his house. <laughs> That's crazy. That's awesome. Like, ah, never mind, Dirk. So it was more than just like, you know, dunking. It was you're part of the entertainment. You're part of the, the show for every single game. Yeah, that's what I figured out after I kind of got going is I knew what I was doing for about two minutes of the game and a game lasts four hours. Yeah. So there's just a lot of crowd interaction because you're kind of part comedian do silly magic tricks, find crazy props, just anything to entertain. Yeah. The dunk timeouts were easy because that's what I've been doing, but you've got 90 seconds to two minutes right. to do that, and you've got a whole bunch of other time to fill. Yeah, interesting. Well, here's what we're going to do. I know you've got a couple other stories that we're going to save for the bonus round of uh, some interactions with players or celebrities that I'm interested to hear, but on the outside chance that someone may be interested in, in taking that next step and going like, okay, I'm, I'm kind of intrigued by this, maybe even just not necessarily being a mascot, but just working with an NBA team in any capacity, what would be some of those next steps to get in with them? So we're going to save that for the bonus round. But in the meantime, you got a website or somewhere we can send people, even some clips online that we could check out some of the stunts that you've done? Yeah, jeffgooden.com, G-O-O-D-I-N.com, cool. jeffgooden.com. We'll, uh, we'll definitely link up to that in the cool. show notes, but plan on uh, chatting a little more in the uh, the bonus round and uh, hear a couple more of those uh, crazy stories. Sound good? Yeah, sounds great. All Thanks, buddy. Grant. All right, there you go. Hope you enjoyed that chat with Jeff Gooden. Really crazy stuff there, huh? Crazy, crazy story about how he got into that. I loved how he just like packed up a couple things and told his wife, like, hey, we got to drive. We got to go on a little road trip here to Memphis, and I got to meet these daredevils. We got to figure out this whole basketball thing. Uh, and just how he got started with it, how he immediately took action. And that's one of my favorite things to hear is people who didn't just like ding around or didn't just think about it or didn't just ponder it, but they actually did something with it. So what is it for you right now? What is it that maybe you're pondering? 
pondering or wrestling or kicking around that you're just you're just not taking action on for whatever reason, and you know that if you did take action, it could make a has the potential to make a huge huge difference in your world. What would that be for you? You heard Jeff and how he took that action and and how it made such a huge difference for him. And so I wonder for you, what would that action be, and what is it that is stopping you? What is it that's holding you back? from taking the next step. Hey, as always, feel free to uh, download the bonus material. You can do that over at grandbaldo.com from within the show notes of this particular episode. And uh, that way you can hear Jeff and I. We talk for a few more minutes about people that are looking for some type of career or profession in professional sports. What, what would you do? How would you go about getting into that? So you can download that over again at grantbaldwin.com. All right, my friends, I think that wraps up today's episode. And uh, we'll plan on coming at you next week with another delicious goodness from the How Did You Get In That Podcast? Yes. Hmm. There you go. Catch you next time. You're awesome. Thanks for listening to the How Did You Get Into That podcast with Grant Baldwin. Don't forget to visit grantbaldwin.com for all the show notes and links discussed in today's episode. We'll see you next time.